Hi everyone, welcome back to Keeping Track. Uh, today we speak with Justine Fredronic. You mostly know Justine probably from her racing days. Um, she was a 2016 Olympian. She ran the 800 meters for France. Um, she spent much of her career, her young track career in the United States. She competed for Stanford, uh, Stanford University. And she is currently the Community and Athlete Partnerships Manager at Wazelle. She has recently moved on from her competitive running days. Um, but most interestingly, she talks to us from Hungary, which is uh, where her mother is from. And she has much experience there visiting family. Her worlds are all colliding with the World Championships being held there in a matter of days. Um, she's actually cheering on her partner, Isaac Updike, who is running the steeplechase for Team USA and doing some work for Wazelle on the marketing side. Um, and we really also most immediately want to announce uh, the Wazelle Underbird program because the application deadline is in two days, August 20th. We're going to release this today. Um, we're actually replacing the Tori Franklin episode with this episode because of the deadline for the applications and also because we want Tori's pre-sale link for her book, You Anthem, to be live. It is not yet live, so she's going to send it to us after the World Championships. So still, you know, keep your eye out for Tori Franklin at the World Championships. She is one to watch among many athletes. Um, Justine's also giving us some exciting Hungarian athletes to watch. She's a great... Uh, source of information there in Hungary. And we talked to her a little bit about her career, her role at Wazelle, uh, what she hopes for the sport, and you're just going to see what a dynamic, inspiring, interesting woman Justine is. So um, thanks for listening. And please, again, if you are a women's U.S. Olympic trials marathon qualifier or you aspire to be in the next few months, that's right, there's probably almost 200 of you out there. Please apply for the Underbird program. They want to give away some financial support. They want to elevate your story. And, um, you know, they want to be the wind beneath your wings, as, as they are uh, over at Wazelle. So thank you, Wazelle, for the opportunity. Please apply and um, enjoy speaking with Justine. Hey everyone, welcome back to Keeping Track. We are here with Justine Fredronic. You all might remember Justine from her days at Stanford, but she has actually um, competed for France, correct? In your international days, That's but correct. your background has more depth than that. So we were just talking. Can you go into a little bit about where you are and some of your background? Yeah, so I'm currently in Budapest for World Athletics Championships. Um, and it really feels like a celebration of a lot of my worlds together because I'm also half Hungarian. So I grew up coming home to Hungary every summer. Um, my mom is from a small town named Pinisvörösvár. That's about 30 minutes out of Budapest. Um, and it's been pretty fun so far to show some of my American friends around. I'm here on like a triple mission to see my family, uh, to support my partner who's on Team USA, and also to support some Wazelle athletes and help create some content for Wazelle. Yeah, so can let's start with Wazelle. Um, the, I heard a little bit about the Underbird program. We want to talk about that because the deadline is in like three days. <laughs> so we'll it lay is, that out. Yes. But what is your, how long have you been with Wazelle and what's your role? Like, it sounds like you're doing some really exciting things. Yeah. Um, so I actually didn't start until mid-May. So it's been a little bit of a whirlwind jumping in in the middle of track season. Um, my official title is Community and Athlete Partnerships Manager. So um, as you may know, Wazelle has a really thriving, beautiful community of women named the Volet, 
we have our own app that we use and um, kind of a, an event structure um, to help facilitate some community throughout the United States. And then I also work um, as the athlete manager. So that means I've gotten to recruit some new faces, find fresh ways to celebrate our current roster um, and uh, help produce and guide some storytelling related to our athletes. That's awesome. Um, so the Underbird program is really exciting. Um, it sounds like it is trying to elevate some of the stories you maybe don't hear about as much um, in the running world. So can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, so, um, you know, I had a little bit of a bittersweet professional career in track myself. And one of the things that always kind of frustrated me was that we don't celebrate the nuance and the holistic um, experience of the female athlete and there's so much storytelling there and I think when you get a community really engaged in a person's story you grow their fan base and it makes the experience better for everybody all around um, and there just are so many talented women who haven't had the resources or the opportunity to have the support that they need to truly thrive in the sport and um, I found that women especially are very resilient um, and very resourceful so there are unique stories that come out all the time of athletes who have found their stride in the sport a little bit later um, and on like a little bit of a different schedule than what you would classically expect. So uh, kind of thinking through what we what resources we have to offer throughout the year with the Olympic year coming up, I wanted to find a more unique way to support some of these stories um, and give us somebody to root for. So especially in the marathon, and you can speak more to this. I was an 800 runner. I found that there, um, as in my community, there are a lot of women who kind of find their way to the marathon a little bit later. So they don't have some of that conventional support structure right off the bat. Um, and we're interested in those stories. We want to know what that process has been like so we can help support them these last, last six months of their journey um, and hopefully elevate them to the next stage of their career. Yes, and we... Um, we have links to an application. Um, I know the deadline was mentioned as August 20th. I don't know if that will be a solid deadline, but for those of you who will hear this tomorrow, um, check it out. <laughs> yeah, we the application is, is open for about two weeks and we'll, we'll start the contracts. It's a six month contract that will go a month past the trial so we can um, help in these final stages help celebrate you, connect you to our community, and um, we'll be making some selections before September. Yes, and there will be financial support there, which is super exciting, it sounds like. Yeah, some financial support, help with um, travel and housing at the trials, gear, um, a, a nice bonus if you do end up making the team, you never know what happens in the marathon. Um, and then, of course, we will be celebrating these women through our storytelling in the months leading up to the Olympic trials. Yes, that's I love that um, concept because that's kind of part of why we wanted to start keeping track as a podcast, just to shine some light on some of those stories you don't hear as often. And um, there really are, when you know this, when you're an athlete in the sport, you meet some of these amazing women and you're just like, I wish more people knew about her. I wish people heard about this. But like, it seems like the spotlight is really heavy at the top and you just don't get to see all these amazing women uh, as often as we would like. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I would say even at the top, I think there's still a lot of untold stories. Um, you know, nobody is just a runner and there's a lot more to being a full human being than that. And I, I'm really excited that at Wazal we have energy and resources and, um, and like excitement to c celebrate some of this nuance. 
uh, celebrate some of these other passions and all the things it takes to make a complete athlete. Absolutely. Um, I, I'd love to dive into some of your experiences as an athlete. Um, as segue, you also are a very multidimensional athlete. Um, you're into a lot of different things. One of, one of the ones I know is your art because I have some in my house. Yes. <laughs> so Justine does some like amazing woodworking, like carving. I don't even, you can tell, tell us what it is, but it's amazing. I'll, I'll link to her um, site if you're still doing, selling some of those pieces. Yeah, I've taken a little bit of a creative break, um, but I, I've i always found I need kind of a form of artistic expression. So I have a laser cutter in my apartment, <laughs> which was designed to be used in an apartment. Don't worry, everyone. Um, but I've made some, I've been making these like inlaid wood wooden pieces. I use different kinds of wood um, to celebrate what movement looks like in nature and what our connection looks like with nature as women and as athletes. Yes, and they're beautiful, and they look really good in your house. You have, like, a really good eye for design, so um, the pictures you've posted of your living spaces, I'm always like, wow, that looks great. I love that. Um, I'm running out of wall space a little <laughs> bit. I'm lucky I have a lot of artistic friends, and I want to celebrate them. Yes. <laughs> That's the best thing, when yeah. it's your friend's artwork. Yeah. Um, and your, yeah, your career, you mentioned, okay, an 800 runner. So, Justine, where are you now with running? And um, can you just tell us about some of your experiences? And you know, you've run at the Diamond Leagues, you've run at the World Championships. Um, like, what what was your experience like in the sport? If you want to touch on any points there, sure. I know that's a broad question, but yeah. Um, so, some of you may know I'm an immigrant to the United States. We moved to the U.S. when I was younger. My dad is Caribbean. My mom is Hungarian. I was born in Germany. I've always been kind of like a mishmash and finding belonging and community has always been tough. And the first place I really felt that was running. Um, I started running competitively in high school and our high school team really like felt like a family to me. Um, that's where I really fell in love with the sport. I ran, went on to run at Stanford, which was also really amazing and challenging experience. And then professionally um, for several years. And I actually wasn't an American citizenship until um, just before the Olympic games. So when I first started running fast, I abruptly learned I couldn't even go to US championships, even though I'd lived here for several years. And that's when I kind of had the choice whether I wanted to compete for France or Hungary. I ultimately chose France. It was a, it, it is a really competitive team and it was a really wonderful experience. So um, I did have the opportunity to compete in Rio at the Olympic games, um, several European championships. I mostly focused on the 800 as a pro, but I was also uh, several times on our four by four and I dabbled in the 15. But um, I had a very uh, injury-filled career. I was kind of stuck in a cycle of injury throughout a lot of it, which is really hard on your sense of self-worth and your mental health. And I'd kind of always decided I was gonna retire after the Tokyo Games. And then 2020 rolled around. And I'll say that I was, I had probably the best fall of training I've ever had, um, but I just wasn't that happy. And I, this was even before COVID, I was teaching design thinking to kids at the time and talking a lot about prototyping and like trying things and failing forward and you can try things, it's okay if you do, it doesn't work out, you learn from that. Um, so I decided to prototype not going to practice <laughs> to see how it felt. And I think I was just physically and mentally ready to move on to having a different type of relationship with running. So I retired in 2020 and never made a big announcement about it. Um, but it's been definitely a journey healing my relationship with the sport, with the movement, and 
Um, I'm really proud of, of how far I've come since then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so where how does running factor into your life today? Because I know you maybe have retired from, like, you know, professional level training, but, like, do you still get out there and hop into a road race, or do you still run every day? Like, what is it like? Now? Yeah, so I will say I was a pretty low-mileage athlete, um, and I still run, but it's purely when I feel like it, which usually is every couple days, and, uh, like, a true endurance speed endurance runner I really like a good run walk so I'll jog for a couple minutes and then I'll do a stride walk and take into the sides take another stride um so I really just am running for play and for joy and and kind of like emotional release which has been a really nice way to find my way back to running um I've also been running to find connection to new community there's some super awesome run crews um in Seattle and many places throughout the U.S. Um, and also to explore. Uh, I love running on trails. Some of that, um, I'm really lucky. I live in a beautiful place. So I'm, I'm like perpetually grateful for the communities that have, that I've gotten to meet because of running. I've branched out my running to, um, kind of help guide more women into the movement and, um, as an opportunity to connect with new communities. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's amazing how when you drop the training piece, how much wider the running world really is. It's like you get so used to the it's narrow <laughs> the narrow walls, and you're like, wait, there's actually so much more you can do with this? <laughs> so many more people to meet? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, what it, so what is the schedule look like in you for you in Hungary? Like, you're doing kind of a lot of different things for Wazel. You're cheering on Isaac, who you mentioned, is Team USA steeple. Um, like, what's on tap for the next couple of days? Yeah, so tomorrow is actually his prelim. So um, a bunch of my family, a lot of my cousins and their kids are coming to watch. Uh, we've got some good Team Isaac shirts that we've made. Uh, his mom is here from Alaska and some of his friends are here. So we're kind of uniting as a big community from all around the world to go to the stadium together, which will be very exciting. Um, and then things kind of depend on, on how tomorrow goes, but I'm just trying to soak in this time to um, explore my home and kind of a new perspective. I think if you come somewhere a lot and then all of a sudden you're going there with some new eyes, you appreciate things in a different way. Um, and I don't get to see my Hungarian family very often. I've kind of grown up uh, with pieces of my heart all over the world. So whenever I'm here, I try to be really intentional with the time that I spend with my grandmother, with my family. Um, especially with the little kids because they're growing up so quickly. Yeah, definitely. Are they far from Budapest where they live? Um, so it's about 35 minutes by car and an hour by bus. Okay. So I'm mostly staying at my grandma's and then kind of community, commuting in on the days that it makes sense. That's cool. So you're probably pretty familiar with the actual city too, huh? What's kind of funny is that I'm not, which I'm realizing because oh, okay. a lot of people ask me for recommendations. I So... 2020 was the first year of my life that I lived on one continent for a full year. Oh my gosh. So we always went back and forth. But I always came here to see my family. So we would spend a lot of time in my grandma's yard. And and this is and then when I was an athlete, I was traveling very intentionally to compete. And as you know, when you're doing that, you've got a more regimented mm-hmm. schedule, you're maybe exploring a little bit less. Mm-hmm. So um 
this is one of the first times that I'm here with just the intention of sightseeing. I haven't done the tourist things. I haven't even been to the baths. So <laughs> we went to Buddha Castle today. Um, the folk arts festival is right now, which is really wonderful celebration of our traditional crafts. Um, our big, like, I guess our version of 4th of July is August 20th. It's Sent Istvan's Day and it's celebrating the birth of the state of Hungary, basically. Um, so there's a lot going on in the city and it's a really fun time to be here. Wow, that sounds really amazing. Um, yeah. Did you, so it's my understanding that this is Isaac's first team, is that right? His first team? It is. Have you given him any tips? It is. Yeah, like you've been oh. through the call room, you've been through this a few times before, like is it, have you, has he asked for any like insights or are you just kind of letting him do his thing? I'm letting him do his thing. Okay. I found that I can say the things and he's going to give him, he's going <laughs> to listen when he wants okay. to. I can tell you that being a fan is much harder on the nerves than being an athlete. And when you're watching someone compete in the stadium and you have no control over the outcome, but you really deeply care, mm -hmm. I, I get the shakes. Yeah. I was told at USA's it was hard to sit behind me. So. Yeah, no, you really, you have no, you feel like that lack of control. Like, at least as an athlete, you're like, I'm going to do something about this. But when you're watching, yeah. you're just like, ah, like, yeah, my friends, uh, my friends would be like, I had to get up and leave the room when you were like racing <laughs> or like, I remember watching my yeah. husband and just being like, I am going to puke <laughs> watching him race. Yeah. So. Um, I, I have more empathy now for my mom because I remember how nervous she always looked in the stands. and It, <laughs> it wasn't comforting walking to the starting line seeing that, but I understand where it comes from now. Yeah, it's fun being a fan when you're detached from the people, like a degree, but when they're people you love, it's like, ah, <laughs> this is hard for me. Yeah, yeah that's well, cool. So at USA's, there were four of them coming around the last 150 at the water pit, and he ended up third. And when he crossed the line, I think I like blacked out a little bit and <laughs> I just went straight through like rows of people to get to where he was on the track. Yeah. Um, might have like strong armed a few folks, but I think everyone was fine. That's funny. So yeah. are you going to have a media credential? Did Wazel get you like down on the track or are you just capturing more like prep and post race type stuff? Yeah, um, no media credential for me this this time around, and I'm I'm good with that. I think capturing kind of the fan experience and um, what it's like to be in a new city and see the athletes around, see what kind of some of the signage looks like. Um, Budapest actually made a really cool plan since there's it, there isn't much parking near the stadium. They have a parking lot that's near the Danube is the river that runs through Budapest, and you can go to the stadium by boat which is pretty awesome. So I think we're all going to do that tomorrow. Um, it's a really unique experience. Um, so kind of just kind of soaking it in. It's especially as a person who's grown up as an athlete in the sport, it's kind of fun to be on the fan side and see what that's like. It helps, helps also give me a better understanding of what I can do to help improve that experience for, for our community and our fans. Yes. Do you have any ideas of how you'd like to improve the sport off the bat? Like what are some things you'd like to do if you had... I don't know, unlimited resources even. Yeah, um, working, figuring out what to do with resources is a big part of the challenge, right? <laughs> um, I think a little, a big part of it for me is representation. Um, kind of looking at what uh, historic uh, representation has been like in a lot of these events. And as personally as a woman who was from many places in the world and uh, running was really a unique way for me to feel like I had found my place and to show others that they could also find their place. Um, 
finding finding some of these unique stories, supporting more women of color, supporting more queer athletes, people who have a perspective and a voice and they're excited to use it to kind of share this story and hopefully inspire some some younger generations and and older older generations alike. Um, I I think we can also as a sport invest more in the humanity of the athletes in terms of um, just like some of these your podcast is doing celebrating what who the person behind the bid is it's not just who's crossing the line let's tell the story of what it took to get there and not just not just the practices not just the training but um, nobody is an isolated being in the world and we kind of are all an agglomeration of a bunch of different experiences and those are worth those are worth talking about mm-hmm. definitely and I think that just makes the connection to the fans deeper too because a lot of times they can't you know they're a fan and they're looking at you because you're great at this thing but then they can't maybe relate to that piece of it but then it can go a lot deeper when they look behind the scenes and see what you know how are you as a person in the world what are your relationships like what struggles have you had what's important to you and um, we're seeing that play out too athletes are being a lot more vocal about that stuff and it's just I think it's giving them a lot more um, effect on their community like I think it's such a net positive yeah I agree and I think you know as someone who's I I represent the brand but I'm also here to support the athletes and I want them to feel like they truly have somebody on their team and um, that means being present for them in some of in in some ways that maybe the typical sports marketing person isn't um, and being relatable in, in kind of a different way because I am younger, I am a woman, uh, I'm a woman of color and I think that's um, that helps me kind of empathize and understand some of their stories as well. Um, so I think that's a big part of it and um, I one of the things I really love doing before I was kind of working in the running industry while I was still training I was also a teacher and I taught mostly kindergarten but sometimes adults and I taught design thinking and so much of that is about growing your creative confidence and um, it's been really fun to guide our current set of athletes or start to work with them to kind of help them develop their other passions and find how it all fits together into who they are um, so that once they do decide it's time to leave the sport they have a better understanding of what their identity is off the track what their skill sets are, where they'd like to continue learning and developing. Yeah, that's important. I feel like that um, kind of that chance to focus on something else and develop a little piece of yourself in your free time can like energize, kind of re-energize you uh, on the on the track. But it also is so easy to get like very one-dimensional as an athlete because you get rewarded for that like single-minded focus and it's not necessarily sustainable, I feel like, for everyone, even though, you know, but it's, like, it's counterintuitive that you, like, do need to, like, reserve time and space for these other outlets in order to be, like, refreshed and just have confidence that you can do other things, so I think that's a good thing to message to work on. Yeah, I think it's tough for everybody has to find their personal balance with that, too, Mm -hmm. and I, that's kind of the challenge that I'm excited about, um, Helping, helping these athletes figure out what they're interested interested in and how to invest in it while still staying focused on their running mission um, and how how I can help support them through that uh, through that journey. Mm-hmm. 
It is a balance, yeah. And everyone is a bit different with, like, how much brain space they can give up and how much they need to, like, focus all in and what times of the year work and what don't. But I think to yeah. exclude it totally is, like, it it might be something that hurts you in the long run. So that's a good, good point. Yeah, and, you know, I think that's one of the hardest parts about learning how to be a pro mm-hmm. is figuring out what works for you after being a student athlete and when you're focused all in, when you are, like, you know, you have a finite amount of energy each day, and some of that is physical energy, some is mental energy, and you're using all of that at practice. Um, but you also need to feed your soul a little bit to be happy because it's a happy runner that's a healthy and competitive runner, right? Um, and everybody has their unique little formula and it takes some prototyping, some testing and trying to figure out what works for you. Exactly. Yeah. What works for you might not be what works for someone else, but it's good to have that because there are points in your career where like your schedule is totally turned upside down if you're injured or if you have to take time off or if things aren't going well. So it's great to have that full balance and other communities to tap into and all that. Um, so you had mentioned, I think this was before I started recording, um, some of the Wazell athletes competing are race walker Maria Mitcha Coffee. Um, yes. And I forget if you mentioned someone else, but that does, you can you can say who the roster is if I'm missing anyone. I also want to talk about some of the new signees that Wazell has uh, this year, because you're doing some exciting things with like the new roster of women. Um, yeah, so uh, it's been really fun learning more about the race walk for Maria. She's uh, she's a veteran. She's a whole lot, <laughs> she is, yeah. and she's got a whole lot of national titles. Um, so she's competing here in the 35-kilometer race walk. Um, and then Kara Goucher, who's an athlete advisor for Wazal, is actually on the broadcast team. Okay, so, is, is she um, in Budapest? Got, she is, oh, awesome. yes. Um, so I'm hoping to meet up with her while we're both here to kind of – um, show her around and get her pers- share share by perspective of the city with her. That's amazing. Yeah. That'll be great. And if she's commenting on like the marathon, she can um, have good yes. insights to where they're running. I hear it goes through some historic areas and like kind of sites that you would want to see on foot. So that'll be cool. Yeah, Hungary has a very rich and often very sad history. Um, but we are very rooted in our in our cultural traditions. Um, we've got some really beautiful architecture, uh, so there there is a lot to celebrate, and it's fun to see people kind of learning all these things while they're here. Did you do much racing in Hungary when you were an athlete? Is there? I actually never did, and that's one of the things that has that like did make me kind of sad because I know it would have been really fun for my Hungarian family who'd only ever really heard of my track career to experience it. Um, and, you know, sometimes I think to myself, like, I really retired at the wrong time because <laughs> world championships are in Budapest right? this year and the Olympics are in Paris next year. Um, but it's it's really special to experience the sport from kind of the, the support side of it, the behind-the-scenes side of it. Um, and I think because of my experience with both of these homes, I, I can provide a little bit of a unique type of support to the athletes who are here. Yeah, totally. There's a right time for that, too. That's cool. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to be glued to our screens for the World Championships the next two weeks. What are you most excited to watch? What events? Any insights? Let us know. <laughs> Well, I have I I've never watched a World Championships before. It's totally different getting to like fully invest in the cheering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so all of it really. But I will have to say that 
Um, I, it is going to be the men's steeple, and it's simply because of my partner Isaac, and um, it'll be really fun for him to have a local Hungarian cheer section. Yeah. Oh my gosh, he's going to have like the biggest cheer section. Um, he's are you... actually been home here. He's been home here with me two years ago, oh. um, so he's a little bit familiar with the city. He's met my cousins, um, so it is very special. Yeah. <laughs> he he's familiar with the lay of the land. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, uh, like, do you, have you been keeping up much with the women's 800? Like, are you excited about that event? Um, it's just, oh, yeah. it's been um, so exciting. Like I, every year it's so exciting. It's always an exciting event. It's one of those things where there's so many talented women. There's always some wild cards and mm -hmm. there's some unexpected things that happen in heats. Um, I'm a little bit biased since I used to train in Seattle with the Beast Track Club. Um, Mia Akins is here. Um, who is the US reigning US champ. Um, so I'll definitely be cheering for her. Yes, I downloaded some of her new songs onto my iTunes yes. yesterday for my long run. So Nia, another <laughs> multi-dimensional, very talented athlete. Um, yeah. yeah, so that'll be exciting. We're, we're like uh, eyes peeled to see if um, Athing shows up to the 800. Uh, we will, you know, Keely is on fire. Like it's just such an exciting event to watch. I have a little fun fact for you I recently learned. So Hungary has never won a gold medal at World Championships um, on either the men's or women's side. Really? But they are the they have the highest medal count of any country to not have a gold. I was going to say because... So they, have a whole they have a whole bunch of silvers and bronzes. So this is kind of a fun non-US storyline to follow. Okay. Um, there are a couple of women who are possibly in contention and a couple fresh Hungarian record holders who had really good showings at European championships so um, and some showings in the past year so it'll be kind of fun to to follow along with that and actually one of my cousins was on the Hungarian national team four by one before she retired probably like 10 years ago but uh, she grew up in the sport here so uh, we've got some personal connections of local people to cheer for as well. Oh that's cool. What are some likely potential gold medal events for Hungary so we can keep an eye on them? Yeah we actually just post about it on the Wazel account today so let okay. me look so that I make sure I don't <laughs> I don't um, mess up any names. Um, so we've got, let's see, Anita Marton in the shot put. Mm -hmm. um, she's brought home at least one medal from every major world athletics event. And she's the last Hungarian athlete to stand on the podium, winning bronze in Rio and then silver at world championships in London. So that's a pretty big one. Um, Xenia Krijan in the heptathlon. She um, is super talented and I think finished fifth at the last Worlds. She's kind of had an injury and sickness filled year and hasn't competed in the full heptathlon yet, so, uh, but you never know. Um, and then we've got Lutza Kozak in the 100 meter hurdles and Victoria Madaras in the race walk, who is the 2023 European Champs bronze medalist. Okay, we'll keep our eyes peeled. I was surprised when you said they hadn't won gold yet because I feel like Hungary focuses a lot on track. Like, track is a big sport there, in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And the stadium's yeah, amazing. Yeah, so lots of medals, but the gold has eluded. <laughs> okay. So it, it'll be exciting. Maybe someone will get that hometown, like, adrenaline and just, like, go above and beyond. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. Um, Justine, do you have any other things you wanted to share that we have? Oh, we wanted to talk a little bit about the roster that Lazelle is bringing on. So do you know who some of the new athletes we've that you've signed are? I saw Maddie Borman, 
Um, yeah. I think there's one. I'm so four. excited about this crew. Yes. Um, Maddie Borman and then Carmen Graves, who is also a steeplechaser and had a huge PR at USA's. Um, and then Melissa Tanaka, who just graduated from Stanford. She's a very talented 1,500-meter runner who's kind of just finding her stride. Um, and then we've also um, – so Maddie Borman, Melissa Tanaka, see um, can Carmen look. Graves – I'm going to go to the last and, page. Uh, was there... We've also... Uh, oh, can... Brenna Detra, of course. Brenna, she, yes. We, Brenna, man, Brenna kept me on my toes. She signed her contract uh, the day of her race at USA's. <laughs> and she's going to be really exciting to cheer for. She's pretty fresh and new to the 800, actually, and it's really fun for me to work with an 800 runner. Um, she was a 400 hurdler. And um, she's run step two a few times now, so um, it'll be exciting to see kind of where she develops. And she is coached by Anna Willard, who has a very strong history in the event. Um, we love these uh, female coaching athlete athlete coaching duos. Um, so it'll be a really good storyline to follow. Yes, all great That's athletes. Well. Um, That's pretty exciting. I'm honestly super honored to work with them. Um, but, you know, it's crazy working on the side of the sport. The contract and recruiting process is crazy, especially this time period between NCAAs and USAs. It's kind of wild how we built, we've built our sport, and it doesn't really seem to serve any human <laughs> the way that it is. Um, but we're try I've been trying to approach it with as much grace and humanity as possible um, and, and, you know, make the athletes feel like they have choices. And if they choose to work with us, then that is wonderful and we will celebrate them. But even if they chose not to work with us, we will still cheer for them and celebrate them. Yes. Um, and what, like, is part of your title at Wazelle, um, like, doing the contract writing? Because I see you're the... It sure was. It sure was. It sure is, yeah. Like, what's so, your actual um, job title? Because wasn't it also something with community events, too? Or um, Yes. Oh. So I'm the Community and Athlete Partnerships Manager. Oh, I see. Athlete Partner. So, that was the second half of that title. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, this was my first time negotiating with agents, um, figuring out the the particularities of contracts and you know I had my experience with contracts as an athlete and I knew um, I knew like what I liked and what I didn't like and what sort of support an athlete actually needs mm -hmm. so we were very intentional in the way that we structured these um, and very communicative and authentic too with our athletes throughout the process um, we are a small brand but I want all of our athletes to feel respected um, and to feel like they have the support structure they need to succeed and they're not too financially stressed um, to do what they need to do on a day-to-day -day basis. Yes, I'd love to. So, like, do, can you talk more about how it was dealing with the agents? Because I know this is typically a very, like, male-dominated side of the sport. There's a lot of male agents and a lot of male, mar like, marketing team, um, like, people that sign yes. athletes are often a room full of guys so did you notice any challenges with that or like I want to do a whole podcast and we will about the agency side of things um and just like um I sure like? did I can tell you that quite a lot of times I got asked if I was someone's assistant mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. um but um there were two agents I worked with primarily and um especially Isaiah was really wonderful to work with um it's been it's been really comforting to see some 
some like French faces in the space who really do care about the athlete's experience and the athletes as human beings, not just as um, as a business tool. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed working with Isaiah and I think um, learned a lot from him and felt like we had like good mutual respect. Um, but I can tell you that uh, finding mutual respect in these conversations can be tough, especially in a very male-dominated field. Most of the people who work in this field are also older men. Mm -hmm. um, so it felt like a little bit disruptive, even if I wasn't necessarily trying to be. Um, I also came in with very clear ideas of uh, kind of what expectations, what I, what standards I wanted to hold myself to and Wazel to. And, you know, one of, some of Wazel's missions are to improve the sport and build the sisterhood and to me it, that means it's very clear that we have to make sure that there is respect in every part of the conversation um, and in the and in the way that we um, we design our contracts so that means that um, our contracts also have some of the and mother recommended pregnancy clauses mm -hmm. we've got stipends uh, we don't make shoes. So in some ways that gives a lot of freedom to the athletes to wear the shoes they want, but because of that, we provide a separate stipend for shoes, um, for medical care, for travel, uh, for coaching. Cause I also, I know how hard it is, especially if your, uh, if your contract doesn't have a, have that in there for your coach, you want to be able mm -hmm. to have a functional working professional relationship with your coach where there isn't any like aren't necessarily any favors being done. Mm -hmm. So that was very important to me to add into that as well. Mm -hmm. so yeah, we have a smaller roster than we've than the brand has possibly had in the past. But I also feel good about where we landed in contract negotiations that everyone feels like they were heard um, and understood. Yes. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad that you're a perspective that is um, on that side of the negotiating table, because I feel like we do need more diversity there, more women, more, um, you know, fresh, like, young people uh, in that side of the sport. So I know it's a challenge, but I'm glad you're there. I will tell you, it's been really fun to see a lot of new faces working behind the scenes in track and field, and we all have some really great energy to fix some of the things that were difficult for us. Um, and it's been really, it's been really fun to kind of, um, create this system of mutual aid, I will say. There's a lot more women working in the track industry now, and we just, it feels like we want each other to succeed, and we want our athletes to be happy and healthy, um, and we're kind of bringing these, this energy into actionable things that we're doing day to day, and it's really fun to be part of that. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I know you guys are some of the leaders in things like the, the you know, maternity clauses and things like that. Um, and how weird is it that, yeah, like, I don't know if people are familiar with this, but a lot of the coaching situations in track and field are this strange, unspoken, like, unpaid or maybe paid. <laughs> like, you're a professional I athlete. Don't think people... And the person guiding you often just has to work at a university in order to, like, live. And then you're paying your agent more than you're paying your coach. And your coach, is, you know, it's just this weird situation of track where it's like you're all volunteering right <laughs> it's like no we yeah, shouldn't all be it's, volunteering it's horrible <laughs> we expect to be internationally elite athletes and then we can't afford a lot often athletes can't afford to pay their coaches for the skill set the care the expertise the passion the time that goes into coaching an elite because it is a lot of that it takes a lot of time and passion mm -hmm. and they're they, and it just feels like a lot of the wonderful coaches in the sport have these huge hearts and they're mm -hmm. so passionate 
about helping these athletes succeed, but they're willing to do it for so little or for nothing at all. And that's not fair to anyone because it also puts it puts both the athlete and the coach in a weird position. Mm-hmm. You're doing other things to kind of have financial security, and you also know that these are favors. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And and we kind of want to rebalance this equation as best we can. Yes. Also, um, a lot of our athletes are working with really wonderful female coaches, and we want to celebrate that and help the help the community of female coaches continue to grow. And that means compensating them because mm-hmm. that is a reality of the world we live in. Yes, 100 percent. And it's such an um disparity too like some coaches are really plugged into major shoe companies and they're probably making quite a lot of money and some coaches are like you said doing it for love of the game but it shouldn't have to be that way so um good I think that's a part that is just a part of the sport that I think a lot of people don't have insight to so I just wanted to explain (laughs) sometimes the best athletes are you know their coaches just like doing it on the side (laughs) yeah and another thing that I'll say is right now we have kind of a system where unless you're it's hard to if you have a coach that you're working with who you really like it can be really hard to find funding um, that's that you can use and access while continuing to work with that coach instead of moving your whole life to join the team. Mm-hmm. Teams can be wonderful, but we're seeing that there's also collectives of people who have different sources of funding who train well together, or people who don't necessarily thrive in the team environment or don't need don't like are thriving in the community and the geographic location that they're in. Mm-hmm. And it can be really hard to find funding that way. And I think as a smaller brand, that's kind of one of the things we're able to offer in terms of flexibility too, is we will help uh, nurture the situation that is working for you. You don't have to change everything about your life to continue running. Yeah, and I feel like that's a common thing that, um, you know, if something's working, you want to kind of let people take off in that environment. So that's a great perspective to have, uh, probably again from your athlete days. Um, Justine, this has been a great catch-up uh, from the rooftop of the U- Team USA Hotel, <laughs> very scenic in Hungary. I'll try and yes. show you guys a picture of this if we can't post the video. Um, is there anything else you wanted to touch on before I let you get on with your evening and go? Uh, the session start tonight, you said, or tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow morning. Tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess just quickly again about Year of the Underbird. Um, I am really excited about the group of women that we're going to be supporting, but we are still taking applications and there are a couple days left to apply. So I would really encourage folks to apply. If you, um, there's actually quite a lot of women, an extraordinary number of women who have hit the Olympic trial standard, um, who don't currently have sponsorship. Um, and I think sometimes when there's applications like this thrown out, people feel like, oh, maybe I'm not good enough. Um, maybe I'm not interesting enough, please just apply. We're so excited to read your stories. And um, it's going to be really hard to choose this crew of women, but I'm really excited to kind of comb through um, the beautiful writing that people are doing in their applications and figure figure out who we're going to support. And maybe there's some unique ways we can celebrate some of the other women who have applied. So tell your friends the applications are still open even if you're near the trial standard there are still opportunities to hit it uh we are also accepting applicants who are chasing the the qualifier with determination so um yeah spread the word as much as possible and we are closing applications the 20th but that still gives you some time yes we're going to post this tonight we're actually going to swap it with the Tori Franklin episode we posted today because her pre-sale link isn't ready for her book. So like we're going to let Tori compete and then Afterworlds mm-hmm. will link you to her book. Today we're going to post this. U.S. 
women's marathon trials qualifiers or aspirational qualifiers, um, put in your applications in the next two days. Uh, it could be um, just the thing you need to give you a boost. So thanks, Wazelle, and thanks, Justine, for talking to us. I wish we could have gotten this conversation done earlier, but hey, it was actually really cool to talk to you from Hungary. Um, so yeah, awesome. This worked out great. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thanks so thanks much. Thanks so much for your time, Molly. Yeah, it was great catching up with you, and um, thanks for all the work you're doing. Have a great day. You too. Enjoy your time. Bye, Justine. Bye. Bye. Keep track, keep track, keep track, keep track, I want to tell you, yeah, yeah, keep track, keep track, I want to tell you, yeah, 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 Sports stars, they're like superheroes, but they're actually real, which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see, they've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Kobe Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo Jo. Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network.